Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Well, if you'd turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Lord is so awesome in putting verse 12 right where he put it, right after verse 11. The last time we were together, we looked at verses 8 through 11, and I had no idea, didn't plan it, how verse 12 was going to fit with Palm Sunday, the day that the Lord Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Because today we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And you know, the Lord's Supper does not talk about his resurrection like baptism does. It brings out his death. The, the Lord's Supper helps us understand what it cost God for us to have what we have in Christ Jesus. And of course, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight says we are to examine ourselves before we ever partake of this supper. And the verse that we're going to look at today, which is in the flow of what we've been teaching, causes us to be able to examine ourselves. And let me just get you into it. It's verse 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me get you into it today by helping you to understand a word that's going to come up in the text. God has given to every man, whether he's a believer or an unbeliever, a built-in alarm system that lets us know if we're choosing to do what is morally right. It's an inner witness. It, it's, it's called the conscience. We don't talk about it much. It's very important. The Greek word for the, is the word synesis. It's the moral inner witness to one's conduct when it comes to doing right or wrong. Now, there's a difference, however, in the programming of the believer's conscience and the unbeliever's conscience. The unbeliever's conscience is trained and programmed by the moral degradation of the world in which a person lives. It only knows right and wrong, which is defined, by the way, by in, in the vocabulary of the world that's around it. Let me give you an illustration of that. Recently, I was uh, in another state, staying in a motel. I was speaking there, and, and it was a, almost a brand new, and it was very new. I don't know if it was brand new or not, but it was pretty new. And so when I checked out the little lady behind the desk, the, the clerk there, she was young and, and just full of life, it seemed like. And, and when I came back, she said, how did you like our motel? How did you like it? And I said, well, you know, I've stayed in a lot of motels, but I said, the one thing I liked about it was your shower heads. You know, I, don't you hate it to be in a motel somewhere and, and you get in the shower and there's about four drops every 30 seconds that fall? You know, it's just no water that comes out. This was one of those great big round ones. And I mean, water just gushed out of, oh, 
and it was above my head. Now, how many times have I ever stayed in a motel that had a shower head above my head? <laughs> now, you, you, you short people, y'all, I'm telling you, y'all don't have a clue. Discrimination in our country is not black and white. It's short people against tall people. Most of the places I stay are made for you, and it cleans out my belly button. I mean, I, but I want to I wanna, I wanna shower over my head. And I was telling her how much I liked that shower because I stayed in it about an hour. I'm, I'm sure their water bill went up. And she said, you know what? She said, I'm glad you told me that. She said, my roommate, and I kept thinking she was going to say she. I mean, if you have a roommate, certainly it's a she. And she said, my roommate, he, when he gets in the shower, turns out, and she went on and on and on. And I'm thinking, here I am, a total stranger to her, and in the vocabulary of the world in which she lives, her conscience has been trained by a false set of standards that says you can live with one another long before you ever get married, even if you don't get married. And so it's socially acceptable. And so her conscience did not in any way condemn her that she was doing what was morally wrong. So you have to be real careful. You see, a person who is, is an unbeliever doesn't understand that right and wrong is relative. In other words, what is right and wrong at home when you're bringing up your children doesn't become right and wrong when they go to the university. And if you don't understand that, wake up and smell the roses. The mores of society changes all the time. Right and wrong is so relative to so many different people. But a believer, however, has his conscience trained by the Spirit of God and enlightened by the Word of God. Uh, conscience, we know the difference between good and evil, not just right and wrong. And there's a huge difference in that. Good and evil comes from God's Word, and it's absolute, and it never changes from the home to the school to the workplace, no matter what age you are and no matter what century in which you live. And when we live controlled by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, our conscience then bears witness to us, and it does not condemn us. It does not accuse us. It defends us. So the conscience, the inner witness to the fact that God is being, that good is being done, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, it will defend us. It will defend us. And this is the way you and I want to live. We want to live with our conscience defending us, not accusing us, because you see it works in tandem with the Holy Spirit of God. You see, those that would accuse us are a dime a dozen. Folks, they're everywhere. So what are we going to do when we're accused? Paul addressed the fact that people just want to accuse and examine in their own light of what is moral and what isn't in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. He says, but to me it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. And the idea is that when people criticize us, they get in little groups and they form a courtroom and they pronounce sentence upon us right there wherever it is. And Paul says, if you want to do that, that's fine with me. That doesn't bother me. He says, in fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet by this I'm not acquitted. No, no sir, this doesn't acquit me. He says, but the one who examines me is who? Is the Lord. That's right. Boy, when you can live a life that's being examined by the Lord, 
then your conscience will not condemn you. It will defend you. The Apostle Paul is a great example to all believers. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, I thank God, he says, whom I serve with a clear conscience, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did. That word clear is the word for cleansed, a cleansed conscience, cleansed of any soulishness of my heart. I'm thankful that I can say I serve him with a clear conscience. You see, the Corinthians had attacked his credibility. They had attacked his even being an apostle. And the apostle Paul had to live in the midst of this kind of thing. People accusing him on the right and accusing him on the left. But the thing that did not accuse the apostle Paul was his conscience. He had a pure testimony. He was what he said he was. His walk matched his talk. And that's what we're talking about today, a pure testimony when our walk matches our talk. I want you to listen in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12 as to how a man with a pure, clear conscience can speak. Let's just listen to what he says. He says, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. When our walk matches our talk, our conscience will bear witness that we have a pure testimony. And we can be at rest. Even when others accuse us, we can be at rest because our conscience defend us, defends us. Today we want to look at what a pure testimony is. And hopefully as we do this, <clears throat> You'll be examining yourself because we're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper this morning. I want you to think about what a pure testimony is. I want to think about your life and let God speak to your heart. First of all, I want you to see the heart of a pure testimony. The heart of a pure testimony. Verse 12 again, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. Now let's dissect that first part of it. He says, for our proud confidence is this, then the second part, in the testimony, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness... And then let's skip those next few words. We'll pick them up later. We have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. Now that word proud confidence, we have two English words, which is one Greek word. It's the word kofkisis. Here it means the cause for boasting. Uh, actually, it means the cause for rejoicing, for glorying in something. Most of the time when you see boasting, it's in a wrong light, but this one's in a right light. This is the right kind of boasting. It's, it's a rejoicing. And Paul says, we, we, we come to you with proud confidence. He says, our proud confidence is this. The reason for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. Now, the word testimony is martyrian. It's the word, it means a confession of a witness on the stand about something that is known. It's somebody giving and bearing a witness, bearing a testimony. Paul says, if our conscience, which we have discovered now, is the moral witness within ourselves of whether we're doing those things that are right, if our conscience could speak for us today, this is what it would say, what it would say. 
For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, and here's what the testimony of his conscience would be, that in holiness we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. Now that word holiness is a very special word. In fact, in some Greek texts it's not even used here, but it's the word that's found also in, in Hebrews 12.10. Only two places at the most you find this particular word. It's a special word. It's the word hagiotis. Hagiotis is that which describes the purity of one's heart. Now, it's not what one does. Holiness, is, that's another word. This is, the, this is the heart from which he does whatever he does. It's the purity of his heart. It's the holiness that comes in, into a, to, to the heart of a believer that has been refined by the tribulations of life. It's a person that's been through it. It's a person that's been stripped, his flesh has been stripped away, and it's down to just him and God. It's a, it's a pure heart. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, it'd be good if you just turn there and look at the context here. Let's look at verses 9 through verse 11 there of Hebrews chapter 12. It's important to see this context of where this word holiness comes from. And how does a person have a heart like this? Well, it says in Hebrews 12, 9, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? And then he says in verse 10, here you go. For they, the earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But then he says, but he, God, disciplines us for our good. And that word discipline is talking about the different uh, tribulations we go through in life, the different trials we go through in life. They're not accidental. God uses them as, as, a, as a spiritual quarry where he, he chips off the rough edges of our life. He says, but he disciplines us for our good. Now look at this. So that we may share, now watch, his holiness. And that's the word right there. Then he says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. <clears throat> now, what he tells us here is that holiness is directly tied to Christ. It is his heart in us. He says in verse 10, so that we may share his holiness. And this is the word that he uses, hagiotis. And verse 11 of Hebrews 12 says it's equated with the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You see, it is when we have been purified through the trials of our life that there's so much less of us and so much more of him that this holiness is seen by others. It's, it's the divine well out of which we do everything that we do. It's, it, it's Christ's heart beating in and through us. Paul says his walk was out of a refined, pure heart. I'll tell you what, in our text in 2 Corinthians, the King James Version does not use that word. It's a different text, Texas Receptus, and they use a different word, hoplotis, and hoplotis is translated simplicity. And the two thoughts put together are powerful. The word simplicity means that he's not double-minded. And that's Paul's whole point. He says, my conscience is bearing me witness. I'm not double-minded. Everything I've done among you has come out of the purity of a heart that's been refined over and over and over again through the difficulties of my life. 
His heart was pure among the Corinthians and among, he says, among the whole world. Everywhere he went, he worked out of a heart that was pure. He says, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. So when others sought to, to tear him down, and this, he spends four chapters in 2 Corinthians defending his apostleship because the people he's writing to, the church of Corinth, didn't like his being an apostle. They didn't want to live up under the authority of anything. They wanted, it's like the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. So he was constantly being attacked. But the thing that defended him was his conscience. His conscience bore witness to the fact that what he was doing, yes, it was morally right. It was good. It was out of the very heart of God. So Paul was able to go right on living and being a vessel in the midst of all kinds of difficult circumstances because within himself he was at rest. He was at peace. Let me ask you this morning as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, is your heart this morning pure before God today? Is your heart pure? And if it is, why is it bothering you when people accuse you? Why does it bother you if your heart's at rest? Why does it bother you? It wasn't bothering Paul, and Paul's conscience was bearing witness to him that he was coming out of a pure heart. You know what happens to most of us when we're accused, and myself included? It's because we probably have done something wrong, and we automatically assume there's guilt somewhere within us. Remember the Lord Jesus with the disciples there on that last night, speaking of this week and what it represents? And he looked at them, and he said, one of you will betray me. All of the heads did not turn to Judas. You know why? God knew that Judas would do that from day one, but he never let on. He loved Judas just like he loved the rest of them. They never understood that it was going to be Judas. That's what real love does. But I'll tell you what happened. Peter said, Lord, is it me? And John said, Lord, is it me? You know why? Because their conscience was accusing them. There have probably been situations in their life that they already had done that. And we know in Simon Peter, just a few days later, he denies Jesus three times. And the book of Mark says he cursed and said, I don't even know the man. There was something within them that was accusing them, condemning them. They thought they were the ones. You know how to live? is the way Paul lived, to live with a clear conscience. So that even when you, are, when you are accused, even when you are brought before others because of something they fabricated about you, you can stand in the midst and be at rest within because your conscience does not accuse you. It defends you because good has been done out of a pure heart in your life. Well, the second thing I want you to see today as we examine ourselves is the motive of a pure testimony, very similar to the heart of it. He says, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness, and then he adds, and in godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. Now, note, notice that phrase, in godly sincerity. He's attaching it again to God. God is the only one who can produce holiness. He's the only one who can produce this sincerity. The word sincerity is the word elikrinia. It's kind of a hard word. It's that which is pure, that which is clear, that which is transparent. I don't know if you know this or not, but Freeman was in this past week, and uh, 
he sold his house, and he's getting every, the movers were there. And I went over and hugged his neck. I miss that boy. Oh, he's doing great, by the way. He's just so happy. He can, his feet are about two feet off the ground right now. I told him he's still in the honeymoon. Hang on. <laughs> There's those days coming. But he's having a wonderful time. And he said, you know, Wayne, he said, Cole wants to go bass fishing. Well, I've seen Cole's fishing stuff that Freeman bought for him, and it's definitely not to go bass fishing with. And so the Lord said, give him two of your best rods. So I gave him two of my rods and reels, and a hole went out of my heart when I did that. But, you know, when you think about bass fishing, it's so different than out here. You know, bass fishing, you want cloudy, murky water. You know why? Because the bass can't see you, and you can't see the bass. And so, therefore, the lure is what attracts them, and you, that's a good day when you've got a murky, murky river or, or lakes, have, lakes that have been fed by those murky rivers. You want to get around that water and whoa, get you a good black worm and start working that sucker or, or get you a dark-colored lure that works through there. I mean, it's wonderful. But the thing you don't want when you're bass fishing, what really you do want when you're trout fishing, is clear water. Because in clear water, everybody sees everything. The fish see you, you see the fish, and no fish get caught. I mean, that's usually the way it works. It clear. I mean, you can see the bottom. You can see the, everything that you look at is transparent. That is the word sincerity, that we're transparent. There's no murky waters in what we do. There's nothing hidden as an agenda somewhere over here that somebody finds out too late later on. And, and what Paul says is, I have lived among you with a heart that is pure and with a sincerity about my life. There is nothing hidden in me. He uses the word in 1 Corinthians when he told them, in chapter 5, in verse 8, to this very group of people, therefore let us celebrate the feast. And he's talking about celebrating Christ, the, our Passover. But he uses Old Testament terms. He says, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of, and he uses this word, sincerity and truth. Now, what if you put those two together, what is he saying? When a person is sincere, there's no leaven in his life, in his motive, in his heart. You see, leaven is sin. Now, you ladies know what leaven is. You put leaven in certain things, and it causes that what to do? To rise up. You know what leaven is. As a matter of fact, a, a doctor told me that, that cancer is similar to that. It is, it's something that causes a reaction to the things that are around it. And the Apostle Paul says, I, leaven is sin. He said, I've been amongst you, and there's not been any sinful motive of my life. There's, there's nothing hidden in me. My conduct, Paul says, was something that did not come out of the sinful flesh amongst you. It was pure, and it was out of God himself. It was Christ living through Paul. Godly sincerity is what Christ produces in us when we allow him to live his life through us. Paul uses the word in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, and it describes the motive of his preaching, but he also attaches it to the fact that it has to come from God. He says in 2 Corinthians 2, 17, for we're not like many, Paul says, peddling the word of God, and there are many people today that are doing that, and people are buying it, but as from sincerity, and then he, he makes sure that everybody understands, but as from God... He says, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. He understands this 
because it was Christ living his life in Paul and living his life through Paul. Christ produced within Paul a pure heart, the very heart of God himself, and his sincerity was something God produced in him. He had no fleshly motive whatsoever. So he says again, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, and then he makes a contrast here, not in fleshly wisdom. Now, the only thing you have to understand about Paul, and if you study 1 Corinthians, you have seen it, because he spends the first four chapters describing how his wisdom did not come from man, which, by the way, they were enamored with. He said, my wisdom comes from God. And involved in that word wisdom is not only a man's message, but it's also a man's methods. And he says, I didn't come in front of you with fleshly wisdom. I came in sincerity, the kind of sincerity that only God can produce. I have a pure testimony. And so when they questioned him as to who he was, they questioned his methods, they questioned his methods, his conscience didn't condemn him. He could stand and take it because he knew he was being examined by the Lord. It didn't matter what people were saying about him. He knew that he was walking in a right relationship with God. He is conscience bearing witness to him. Now let me ask you a question today. What do people say about you? The people that are closest to you. Do you do what you do with God's heart, with pure motives? Are you, are you transparent? Are you who you are full of Jesus? Or is your message and your methods of the flesh? Do you say what you say with God's heart, with pure motives? You know, we know one of the things that over the years, 43 years now in ministry, one thing I've noticed, there's a lot of people that can pray the stars down. They've got it down to an art. Prayer, like everything else, has become an art rather than the heart of somebody responding to God. And yet, as soon as they finish praying, they can walk outside and say some of the ugliest things you've ever heard come out of a person's mouth to somebody. This is what James is talking about. The book of James says, how can bitter water come out of a sweet well? It can't produce that kind of thing. You see, when you live a life that's dominated by the Lordship of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is in control of you and his word, then your conscience is, not, is constantly going to defend you. Are we talking about perfection? Absolutely not. But we're talking about predictability. A person whose heart has been touched and tenderized by God, his conscience is not his problem. Even though people would tend to accuse him, he knows in his relationship with God that he has a pure testimony. Well, the heart of a pure testimony, only God can produce that, and the motive of a pure testimony. But the third thing is the power of a pure testimony. It's, it's as if Paul waited to the last to explain how it all happens, how God puts it together. Look what he says. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom. And then he adds the little phrase that's the catch-all for everything. He says, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. Note that little phrase, but in the grace of God. Here we are again. Do you see it? God's grace, the same grace he talked about in verse 2 when he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It grazes God's divine 
and transforming power. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't seem to understand this. Christianity is not what you can do to make yourself sincere or what you can do to give yourself a, a holy heart. No, it's what God does in you. And when you allow him to work through you, then he will produce a pure testimony. He will produce a pure heart. He will produce pure motives. Put the verses together that we have studied in chapter 1, and it'll light you fire. When I was looking at the flow, this is a divine flow in this chapter. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1, God takes pleasure in using us, and he locates us where we can be usable the most. And he gives us his grace, here we are, to be able to be influential to people around us. It's really not us influencing anybody. It's Christ in us touching people around us. In verses 3 through 7, not everybody likes it. In fact, in the midst of the pain, we need to understand the comforter, the one who's near us, the one who's always there. And he comes to us as, as we go to him. We draw near to him. He draws near to us. And we walk through that valley being comforted by the Lord Jesus himself. And in verse 8 through 11, it tells us that no matter how bad it gets, persecution itself is beneficial to us because it purifies our hearts and our motives. And as we turn to God for his comfort, he stabilizes our hope, puts us back on our feet, and he teaches us that even death can't conquer us. And then we saw that he even tenderizes us towards the people that have treated us wrongly. We start getting to the point of wanting to seek reconciliation. And you see, you say, Wayne, that's a precious process. It is. But what Paul is doing in verse 12 is showing you the result of it. He's been there. He's been through the tribulation. God has purified his heart. God has put his feet back on the ground. God has given him a heart to reconcile with people that have done him wrong. And so we see then what a pure testimony is and how it's shaped and how it's formed by God himself in the crucible of life. It brings us to the point that there's so much less of us and so much more of him. And that's what Christianity is all about. Paul said in Philippians that I may gain Christ. What he means is this right here, that there might be so much less, more or less of me and so much more of him. Paul has beautifully shown us how the grace of God produces the heart of a pure testimony. And it, gives, it produces the motives of a pure testimony and the power of a pure testimony in the believer. And let me read it one more time. And let's just listen as we examine ourselves. What is your testimony this morning? Is your conscience accusing you or defending you? Now, if you've not been in the Word of God, you can't really go that route. Because you see, you've already calloused your mind as to what God expects. But if you're walk, seeking to walk with God, how does your conscience handle what I'm talking about this morning? Verse 12, for our proud confidence is this, our reason for rejoicing, our glorying, the testimony of our conscience. What? That in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. What is your testimony this morning? In our, is, our, is our conscience accusing or defending us? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. this very same group of people that 2 Corinthians is written to, Paul has some things to say that are pretty tough. He, he, he talks about the Lord's Supper, which we're about to enter into. And remember the verse in verse 28, he says, let every man, let every man examine himself. 
He says in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. I want us to take some time this morning and think about our testimony. What do your children say about us? What do our husband or wife say about us? What do our co-workers say about us? Can we say amongst them when we stand in front of them, my, my testimony is clear, it's pure. My conscience bears witness. I've been with you in holiness, the very heart of God. I've been with you in sincerity. I've been transparent. There's no other motives whatsoever. I want nothing for myself. Can, it, can we go there? Because can we say what you see is a product of the grace of God working in our lives? That's what a pure testimony is all about. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 